This is Adopted with Anna and Sam. We love books and we love movies. Warning, here be spoilers. Welcome to Adapted with Anna and Sam. I'm Anna. And I'm Sam. And featuring Rupert the Cat as our special guest co-host, don't worry, he'll contribute absolutely nothing. In this podcast, we talk about a book, we talk about a movie or TV show based on that book, we play some fun games, and we encourage you to read and watch along with us. Today's episode, we will be talking about Sleepy Hollow, the novel novella, and the 1999 movie based on that novella. I remember liking the short story better when I first read it in high school, and that just doesn't seem right. I mean, don't get me wrong, I still enjoyed rereading it, but I had built it up into something much bigger in my head. Well, it's a, it's a really short story. It really is. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, there's, there's, there's so little to there. It. It's funny, because our first episode, I felt we chose a really smart adaptation. Like, Jurassic Park... It's it's such a good example of what a good film adaptation can do. Not that it's like a flawless movie, but it's it's a very strong adaptation. It definitely is. And I feel like for this we've chosen a truly terrible adaptation. <laughs> not that it's a terrible movie. Not that it's a terrible movie, although we'll talk more about okay. that later. <laughs> but it's so, so different from yes. the original. Like everything is lost. There is almost nothing that comes over. Yeah. There's like three character names and the horse and the covered bridge and nothing else is no. the same. I mean, yeah, and the covered bridge, like with the throwing of the the head. I, I mean, it's, in quotes, but, but that's it. So much, so much is different. It's it's laughable. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Sam, do you want to talk a little bit about the original book that this film is based on? I say book in quotes. I would love to, Anna. Thank you. So today, our book report deals with the legend of Sleepy Hollow. Uh, this is a short story written by Washington Irving, and include and it was included in his collection of essays and short stories entitled "The Sketchbook of Jeffrey Cran, Gent, aka Gentleman." I like uh, that gent. Right. It's good. Yeah, you know those those people back then. Yeah. like it's not just we for bathrooms. Spell out a word. Gents. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was considered speculative fiction due to its supernatural elements. Ooh, spooky. Mm. It was originally published in 1820 with the well-known characters of Ichabod Crane, Brom Bones, Katrina Van Tassel, and of course, the Headless Horseman. And the horse. And the horse, of course. I mean, the horses are most important. Uh, The story (laughs) opens with a description of Greensburg, most often called Terrytown by housewives whose husbands linger at the village tavern on market days. Why wouldn't you? Right? I mean, oh he spends an entire paragraph talking about this. And I'm like, maybe this is why it was so much fun in high school? I don't know. A uh, short distance away is the Valley of Sleepy Hollow, a settlement of Dutch immigrants discovered by Master Hendrik Hudson. Uh, I think Henry Hudson is what most people know him as. He's oh, yeah. Hudson Valley. Probably Hendrik is like the Dutch version yeah. of his name. Exactly. Uh, Sleepy Hollow is a place full of superstition which holds a spell over the minds of the good people, causing them to walk in, in a continual reverie. So there's like just weed naturally growing there. Yes. Something like that. Yes, exactly. Okay. Everybody's constantly hot. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense when you read it. I've been in towns like that. Yeah. I mean, didn't you, you know, grow up yes. around there? Yeah. 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 Fields. <laughs> The most famous of these legends is that of the Headless Horseman, described as the apparition of a figure on horseback without a head. 
Uh, Ichabod Crane, described as a lanky and extremely su- and extremely superstitious, is a schoolmaster from Connecticut. So he's considered a Yankee and an outsider, which Ooh. are two strikes against you. That's just not a good sign. Mm-hmm. Uh, Crane wants to become rich and hopes to marry local girl Katrina Van Tassel. Uh, but he finds himself competing with the local rowdy Brom Bones, whose real name is Abraham Van Brunt. I don't... F- okay, can we pause for a second for yeah, the course. cat? <laughs> okay. All right, um, so backing up a few steps. So, yeah, let's back up. So, <laughs> so Brom Bones, what's his real name? Uh, real name is Abraham Van Brunt. Because why, why, why not? I feel like Brom Bones is a really natural... Yeah. Names <laughs> were different back then. <laughs> I don't know where it came from. Um, yeah, so they're competing for the hands of the local girl who, you know, because she's rich, everybody's like, oh, Katrina. Oh, yeah. Love you. Um, so, you know, the way they do, the way they, you know, kind of compete for her hand is Brom Bones plays a number of pranks on Ichabod Crane. Poor guy. But no one's really sure who Katrina's going to choose. Are they really? It's so funny because I feel the way she's described in the book is she's she's such a cipher. I mean, oh, yeah. everyone in the story is a cipher because no, it's so yeah, short. Exactly. But she's such a cipher, and it's, I mean, she's play, She's such a, she's definitely described as like a coquette, right? Yes. Oh yeah. She's like you know, oh simpering and yeah, yeah and like her so simpering. There's, I, I don't know. I when I was reading, I never felt like there was any actual doubt. Oh yeah, no, there really isn't a doubt. But there's like you're supposed to have some doubt, and I'm not well, really sure why. we're seeing it from Crane's perspective, because he's the yeah. protagonist. Well, the the um, the way it's told is actually there's omni- this omniscient narrator, and so he knows all and sees all, and he's supposed to, like, you know, being like, oh, this is this old town, let me take you back there, this is what's happened in the past. Yeah, but I mean, but he's, he's the omniscient narrator who is still, I mean, he's still... He's like a visitor from a from like the few. He's like a visitor to the town and like is hearing all these stories. But, like but it's Crane's them. story. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, it's definitely Crane's story. Yeah. Okay. So the Van Tassels are hosting this harvest feast, uh, which Crane is attending, with the intention of proposing to Katrina. Because why wouldn't you? And while at the party, Brown Bones is filling Crane's head with ghost stories, including stories about the headless horseman, who's a Hessian from a previous war, whose head was blown off by a, a cannon. So that's why he has no head. And then after the party, Crane proposes, but <gasps> is refused. So there's that. End of end of discussion there. Um, so he's like all sad and crestfallen. I think the word is is the word that Washington Irving uses. Um, and on his way home, he passes by a number of the local haunted spots that Brom Bones had been telling him about. So as he passes by each one, he gets more and more freaked out as he's riding along because he's already a superstitious man and believes in all of these things. Um, and, but soon enough, he comes up to a, a crossing, and waiting there for him is a cloaked figure who's, like, kind of tall and just menacing presence and really much bigger and just mm-hmm. really silent. And Nicobod's like, already freaked out at this point. He's, like, at this... And then he realizes, <gasps> he has no head. It's actually on the saddle. And that's it. We're done. He's freaking out. He's panicked. He takes off. So... He's on his horse, and he's racing away, racing away from this headless apparition, and he comes across a, a covered bridge. And the legend is that the horseman can't cross the bridge. So Ichabod's like, okay, if I cross the bridge, we're done. I'm safe, home free. I'm just going to pack up my stuff and go. Um, but then, uh-oh, shocker, Ichabod's crossing the bridge, and the horseman takes his head and throws it at Ichabod. 
I've definitely wanted to do that to some uh, other oh, yeah. drivers. I've oh, passed. yeah, I agree. I totally agree. I mean, I would take anything that's handy. Oh, like yeah. If my head were sitting on my lap, it would be thrown. I would throw, yeah. yeah. When you get cut off, I'd throw that. Yeah. Yep. And so the very next paragraph of the sentence is saying, is the, the opening of the next day. So you don't actually... It's a quick cut. Yeah, it's a very Literary quick cut. Literary quick cut. Yep, you, you don't actually know what exactly happens. Um, but Ichabod has completely disappeared. He's just gone. And so they're like, uh, what happened? And so Ichabod becomes a legend of the town. Uh, you know, his story is told around, and every time somebody tells the story in Brom Bones' pres- presence, he's like, he's got, this, he's got this knowing look on his face. Oh, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. you know. So there's speculation that Brom Bones was the one who was playing. It was just another one of his pranks. Do you think people actually think Brom Bones, like, murdered Ichabod Crane? No. Okay. No, 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 no. There's, I, there's I, no hint of that. Okay. That's, yeah. that's a shame. I mean, it really is. I feel like Washington Irving could have gone into a whole new place with that yeah. story. Um, but he chose to leave it up to people's imaginations, which mm. I appreciate. And so the end of the story is Ichabod's become a legend, and he is the legend of Sleepy Hollow. Oh, Ichabod becomes the legend. Yes. It started as there was a legend that he bought into, and then he becomes he bought, the yep, legend. He becomes a legend. Oh, that's clever. Isn't that okay. nice? Yeah. It works on, and now it works on two levels. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is probably why it's a classic. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right, so Anna, do you want to tell us a, a little report from the balcony about the yes, movie? Yes, so from the balcony. Um, released in 1999, Sleepy Hollow was directed by Tim Burton with a screenplay by Andrew Kevin Walker. The film st- It is a name for a person who has written screenplays. I actually, so I had originally started, like, looking through the rest of his IMDb page and, like, making judgments. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I saw the other things he's written and I was like, no, we're just going to focus on this piece of interesting writing. But I, I do have some feelings about the writing of this movie. I mean, you have to. So the late, great Carrie Fisher used to be a script doctor. She and was amazing. I... And apparently she, like, works in a lot of movies that she doesn't even get credit for. Yeah. And I will just say, it is very clear to me, re-watching this film, that Carrie Fisher did not do any work on it, <laughs> is what I'm trying to say. So, um, the film stars a pre-Wonka Johnny Depp as Ichabod Crane, Christina Aww. Ricci as Katrina Van Tassel, Casper Van Diem as Brom Bones, and a slew of over-talented British actors slumming it in the woods. <laughs> Miranda Richardson and Michael Gambon are the Van Tassels. Richard Griffiths as Magistrate Phillips. Mr. Ian Dursley. Mc- Mr. Dursley. Yeah, there's a lot of Harry Potter actors <laughs> in this. Uh, Ian McDermott, a.k.a. Senator Palpatine, as Dr. Lancaster. Uh, Michael Goff, I think is how you pronounce it. I believe it. you are correct, yes. Uh, also known as Alfred Pennyworth. Yes. As Notary Hardbrook. So and basically it's Tim Burton's go-to cast. Um, f- yeah, uh, well, yes, and rounding out the American side of the cast is Jeffrey Jones as Reverend Steenwick, Mark Pickering as Young Nazbeth, and Lisa Marie as Dr. Freud's senior thesis. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Lisa Marie was Tim Burton's paramour for many years. Yes. Um, before Helena Bonham Carter. Helena Bonham Carter. Homewrecker extraordinaire. Oh, my God. I mean, love her. but Love her, but yeah. This has happened several times now. It's yes, a pattern. It is a pattern. And, of course, uh, Christopher Walken as the headed horseman and Ray Park as the headless one. Good distinction there. Very important. Yes. Uh, so the opening scene is the gripping tale of a notary. We see the drip of red of blood red wax onto a signed contract, and soon the aristocratic Martin Landau, earning the money for his third vacation home, <laughs> as it was one film, he's racing through the night in his coach, only to be attacked. 
He and his coachman slash son are soon decapitated. And um, this is the first of many issues I have with the anachronisms of this film. Why does this super wealthy man have his son acting as his coachman? Because he hates his son and obviously he's teaching him a lesson. Boy, you have oh. to work for this money. Okay, well, that's not anywhere in the script <laughs> or ever mentioned you, again. You didn't and see that in any of the subtext no, I, from it his it wasn't character? in the subtext of the five seconds I saw him with his head on. <laughs> so that's one of many instances where I was like, someone who knew something about 18th century, 19th century culture should have maybe read the script a little. Yeah, <clears throat> that was never going to happen. So, uh, first two dead bodies. Then we cut to New York City where Ichabod Crane is a policeman, not a schoolmaster, uh... fishing dead men from the river gross in his courtroom arguments and again here's anachronism number two i don't know a lot about 19th century law practices but i don't think policemen usually give arguments in court no i think they had lawyers then pretty sure um so that sequence is very weird yes shakespeare had courts they still this was america backwards remember but after like Uh, right 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 um and then in his Addressed to the court, he specifically re- references the approaching millennium. The movie is specifically says it takes place in 1799, so that's just v- a year. Very more. bizarre yeah. and so strange. So then, Judge Christopher Lee, hey Chris, uh, ships the troublesome crane off to Sleepy Hollow to investigate the deaths of three people. Someone was killed off screen, apparently. Oh. And we're on the road and the opening credits. So at this point, it's worth noting the almost monochromatic feel of the cinematography. The film is almost exclusively blacks and grays, given a very gothic, ominous feel, very Burton-esque. Uh, this is even more pronounced when Crane arrives at the dismal-looking village of Sleepy Hollow. Crane receives no welcome in the village and arrives at the biggest house in time, just in time to intrude on a large party. In fact, his timing is so fortuitous, he bumbles directly into a game of something called the Pickety Witch, which is a sexually charged version of Blind Man's Bluff, <laughs> and immediately receives a kiss from the lovely and strangely blonde Katrina Van Tassel. Oh my god, her eyebrows. Her eyebrows, her hair. Then Mrs. Van Tassel's dress arrives, and some other stuff happens, but I didn't really pay attention to that part because... Um, Mrs. Van Tassel's dress was on stage. It was being worn by Miranda Richardson. Yes. And all of her dresses in this movie are amazing and almost make up for the horrible things that are done to women's hair in this. <laughs> um, but I digress. So a group of super crabby town elders explain that the murder victims' heads were never found and there is no mystery around the culprit. They know exactly who did it. It was the hor- headless horseman, a, Hes- a Hessian soldier who died in the revolution, and he is taking his victims back to hell with them. So now we get a flashback to how the Hessian is killed, and it is not a cannonball. The Hessian is a supernaturally evil murderer even before he lost his head Mm -hmm. and it takes an entire gang of soldiers to take him down Uh, we see him kill at least four soldiers single-handedly um so if we include the flashback our body count is now up to eight oh geez before they finally behead him and bury him separately from his body all right so back to the present a watchman is guarding the village he's chased down by the horseman and killed a crane is now on a borrowed horse, gunpowder, uh-huh. also the name of the horse in the book. So, see, it all connects. Yeah, yep, yep. The screenwriter actually glanced at the story. Or he read Wikipedia and he got a character list. <laughs> actually, there wasn't a Wikipedia in no, 1999, to be fair. Actually, wasn't No, it? I think there was. 
All right. Well, I, I, I'm I wasn't Googled using that. it yet. <laughs> I don't know me either. I may be speaking out I of was turn. still in this. There wasn't Wikipedia in 1799, though. I'm that sure. is fair. Yes. So Crane studies the crime scene with the bizarre array of scientific equipment perfect for steampunk cosplay. He sprinkles powder on the neck, and the chemical reaction proves the head was severed by a powerful singular thrust of the neck. That's a really magical powder. <laughs> I don't. Is that cocaine? I didn't know that was a thing chemistry could do. I didn't either. So, um, Eddie, if any of our listeners are big... um, Science nerds? Science nerds, if you work in studying crime scenes and this is a chemical that does this please let us know let otherwise us know. i'm yeah. going to count that as anachronism number 715 and we're in <laughs> and we're four scenes in so now we have the funeral for the dead guard and his son offers to work for crane and the local magistrate gives crane a clue that nesmith was the fifth victim of the horseman not the fourth Ooh. so that there's only one Tricky. thing that could possibly mean, right, is that there we got two bodies for the price of one. What, what? And instead of just like asking the neighbors, "Hey, was <laughs> was the was the female victim the widow? We never met her when she was alive. We didn't yeah. see her death. She's so unimportant. All she is is literally a headless body." She's just a title. So we could have like interviewed some of her neighbors oh, or no, talked no, to no, someone, no. but no, he exhumes the body and so sure much enough, more fun. There is a single cut on her midriff. And I, I have I have so many problems with this. So this is just this is just so weird. So if the intent was to kill the fetus, you behead the mother, that does it. Mm-hmm. If the horseman wanted to collect the fetus's head to take with hell, I feel like an inch long That's cut not gonna do it. is not really enough to get in there. So it just feels excessive that the horseman like just like a little nick to the to the stomach there. And then to add insult to injury, Crane does a physical examination he it's so gross so the disgusting like squirting viscous red liquid right in his eye and it's so disgusting but lo and behold crane proves the widow was pregnant when she was killed so great that's a clue to the whole thing that was a whole pointless scene because the magistrate magistrate could have just said yeah she was pregnant Right, yeah, he already You're said done. that he knew she was pregnant. Like, we didn't yeah. need to do this. It's so dumb. No. Tim Burton. He just wanted to squirt Johnny Depp in the eye with blood, which we've all felt that. Oh, way. yeah, for sure. So there are literally two scenes in this movie that directly tie to the original story. The party, when, yes. Crane, uh, when Crane arrives. Except it should be at the end, but that's okay. And then this one, when he's chased to the covered bridge by a mysterious figure pretending to be the Headless Horseman. And it's actually the jealous boyfriend, Brom Bones, who's playing on Crane's fears. And it's a big practical joke. So this is where the original book ends. And everything from here on is absolute fantasy. <laughs> so now Brom Bones is a fake horseman, throws a CGI jack-o'-lantern at Crane, who passes out. And I hope some film student someday writes a thesis on this trend in genre movies of the overpowered male hero passing out when confronted. Ichabod Crane does it. Mm-hmm. Frodo Baggins oh, passes God, out Frodo. a lot. Harry Potter is constantly losing consciousness. Yeah. And I, I actually have a theory about this, that um, when the filmmaker needs to let the male hero temporarily be bested, it's it's less demasculating. Demasculating is the word. Emasculating. There you go. To have him lose consciousness so he can fail without being weak. So if, he's, if he's unconscious, it's not his fault that he's That's been true. bested. It's true. So just... Credit me in your footnotes, kids. <laughs> All right, so back to Crane. While unconscious, he has the first of several flashbacks slash fantasy sequences of his mom, played by Tim Burton's girlfriend, Lisa Marie. 
which exposes way more about Burton's fantasies than I really wanted to know. Oh, God. I didn't even think of that. Oh, Oh, thanks a lot. You didn't think of that? No. I'm a pure girl. I'm innocent. Naive. Okay. So it's, you knew it was Tim Burton's girlfriend. I didn't, But even if you didn't, the (laughs) fantasy, even if you didn't know it was his girlfriend, the fantasy sequences of Johnny Depp's mom, of of Ichabod Crane's mom, and she's got, like, crazy cleavage, and she's dancing around. It's super sexual. There's a kid there, and it's creepy. It is creepy. Yes, that's my point. It's creepy. (laughs) It's weird. I'm going to have nightmares tonight. So after fantasizing about his hot mom, Crane and young Katrina Van Tassel bond over something, and then they go check out the ruins of her former cottage, and I just... Again, I have to I have to just stop and talk about how they push the Ichabod Katrina romance in this movie and it makes no sense. No. It's so forced and honestly every time Katrina is on stage I kept going, "Why? Why?" Like she, I, I don't understand anything she does. I don't know why she's in half the scene she's in or why she makes the choices she does. She is set dressing and it's so insulting and the lack of chemistry is so awkward. Which is no, I guess I shouldn't. I was going to say that's weird, but I'm like, no, it's not weird. It's so typical. It's so typical. And, like, I I actually really love Christina Ricci. She's been oh, fantastic in other yep. things she's been in. She's so poorly used in this mm-hmm. movie. I think they just, they, somebody got a note saying you need more women. So oh, I don't, no, I don't think it was, yeah, but they didn't actually think about, like, why a woman no. would do or say or think anything. So they just, like, move her around. Yeah, exactly. And then. She's, like, the token yeah, all, they were like, oh, she's a character in this book. We should keep her in here somehow. Yeah, but she's actually, I think, even less of a well-developed character in the film than she is in the book, if possible. <laughs> uh, so anyways, back to this boring plot. We see the town elders arguing, although I don't know what about. Uh, Magistrate Philip makes a run for it. He's caught by the horseman. Crane witnesses the death. And there's a great scene of the magistrate's head gets chopped off. It rolls directly into Crane's crotch, and Crane passes out Can't again. Can't avoid that one now. Right. Now that's the nightmare. All right. So when Crane wakes up, he finally admits the horseless, the headless horseman is real, and he passes out again and dreams of his mom in the super booby dress. Uh, but when he wakes up, he's determined to track down the, the real killer, the root of the supernatural uh, uh, being that they've encountered. So he heads into the woods with young Nazmith, and they play a call on a witch there who, God help me, is played by Miranda Richardson in a lot of makeup, and I love her even when she's cutting the head off a live bird. Mm-hmm. Oh, is it a bird or a bat? Oh. There is a dead bird. There's Yeah. There's a I dead bird. and the then... dead bird. I think she cuts the head off the bat. You are right. So... Ugh, still creepy, though. But it's, it's a nice, um, it's a nice reference to Ozzy Osbourne. Yes. So that's nice. <laughs> So then, the screenwriter forgot to include a reason for it, but Crane and Nazmuth meet Katrina wandering around the woods. <laughs> uh, she and Crane, she and Crane almost kiss. Why? Again, but they are interrupted, and we uh, move on to some more stuff. So, uh, a lot of things happen here. Mrs. Van T is in a super fierce dress. Oh, I love that dress. Reve- All of her dresses are amazing. She reveals that the servant girl ran away while symbolically cutting an apple. Uh, to the notary, the notary is hiding in a cupboard. Two Van Tassels for a confrontation with Katrina. Why? I have no idea. Mm-hmm. And Crane con- uh, discovers an evil eye drawn on the floor under his bed. To the woods, Crane and Nazmuth spy on Mrs. Van T, getting it on with the Reverend and cutting her hand while he's like having this is just relations weird. with her, it's and it's creepy, weird and... blood stuff. Yeah. Uh, it's Jeffrey and... Jones for kind of gross. 
Yeah, Jeffrey Jones. He, uh, we don't, yeah, we don't talk about him. So, so many men in this movie have been ruined. Oh, God. By their behavior. Oh, seriously. Uh, to the abandoned cabin where Katrina has burnt the evidence. Again, why? why? That's the, <laughs> the recurring theme. I feel like that should be, we should just retitle the movie to why? Katrina Van Tessel. Why? <laughs> so Mrs. Van T tells Crane she knows that he saw her banging the reverend. Um so that's a fun, awkward conversation with future mother-in-law. Right. And then we found out the notary has hanged himself. So there's a lot of, like, plot movement going on here. And then comes uh, a big confrontation at the church. We have a quick stop on the way to see Mrs. Van Tee about to get beheaded by the hu- horseman. Her husband doesn't even try to help her. He just runs off crying to the church to join the rest of the town who's gathering there He's for safety. He's clearly not Dumbledore in this movie. Mm-mm, no. So inside the church, things are getting mutinous, and the people all turn on each other. The doctor starts to talk. The reverend hits him in the head with a very heavy cross. Brutus Van Tassel shoots the reverend. And now the horseman is outside. He can't get in because he can't step on hollowed ground. So I have to say, for a man without a head, he is a quick thinker. Mm -hmm. He takes a fence post, throws it through the window at high speed, pierces Van Tassel with such force that he is then able to haul his body out through the window by the fence post that he's been um, skewered on. And then as soon as his neck crosses the boundary line, he slices his head off and uh, carries carries off with it. So now we're down three more town elders. That's a bummer. And Katrina has drawn another evil eye on the floor, uh, which I don't think most churches are They're not really, really big happy about. No. And then passes out. So it's not just Crane no, getting to pass out. Yay! So all of this leads to Crane thinking that Katrina was the one calling the horseman. Um, and since, honestly, her motivations have been so poorly defined throughout this movie, I, I honestly can yeah. understand him yeah. thinking that. So he's wrong, of course, because her not-dead stepmom is back in her best dress yet. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, Katrina sees her and faints again. And what then when the she fainting? comes to, stepmom has dragged her to a windmill for reasons. Dutch. Because it, yeah, that's actually probably what they were thinking. So now we have the true villain, Mrs. Van Tassel, and it was all a revenge plot. Side note, Mrs. Van Tassel has the skull of the Hessian. That's how she's controlling him. Right. The skull does not have the filed teeth that we see on Christopher Walken in the flashbacks. Oh, interesting. So they make the point that Christopher Walken's Hessian is filing his teeth. They got him prosthetics, but no one told the props department... And they've got a skull with completely flat teeth. And it's, that is... That's so bad. Such a failing. So and it reflects so poorly on the poor props department. Although, I don't know, maybe they're just phoning it in. I wouldn't Makeup and props were not talking. No, clearly. Someone, someone dropped the ball. Or someone didn't read the script. I um, I've been really hard on the, the script writer for this and movie and really hard on Katrina. I honestly think, though, her worst single line in this entire movie that comes out of absolutely nowhere and makes no sense is the one that when she finds out that her stepmother is the one doing all of this, her first question is, who are you? (laughs) Which makes no sense, right? Like, so you know who she is. You've known her for years. She suddenly is doing this evil thing. There's a number of ways to ask. Like, like, why why are are you you doing doing this? this? What like, have we ever done to you? Why me? I, you know. I, it's it's the only reason you would ask who are you is if somehow you realize this person had faked her identity, and which how you had you no reason to think that? that. 
So it turns out her real name is Archer, and her family was the Archer ruined by. Oh yeah, her British accent. I wasn't even gonna make fun of her British accent because I feel like there's so many other things to harp. That's on the it. one word I can only say that makes fun of it. So <laughs> Archer. <laughs> um, yeah, her real name is Archer. The cabin was hers. Her family was kicked out. Um, and then she decided to take revenge on absolutely everyone by killing them horribly. Uh, and f- thankfully, Mrs. Van Tassel goes all Bond villain and explains her entire plan and backstory. Thanks. Uh, she reveals that she killed the first Mrs. Van Tassel, which I think should count towards a final mm-hmm. body count. Oh, for sure. Uh, and that she killed her sister just for talking to Crane, which seems unnecessary. So now we have a fight in the windmill because, damn it, they paid to build a windmill, so they're going to use it. <laughs> and they're going to burn it down. <laughs> and that it, it and yes, the windmill explodes. And Mrs. Van Tassel literally says the line, mind your head. Oh, God, I remember that. <laughs> so bad. Uh, then we have a chase scene. Our heroes are in a carriage. The horseman is on his horse. Uh, it's dumb and loud. And, I mean, you know horses better than I do, but I feel like no horse would actually put up with that oh, nonsense. Oh, God, no. New, 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 new. Nasmith gets a nice hit in. He whacks Mrs. Van Tassel in the face with a big-ass branch. Respect Aww, to young Nasmith. Yep. Um, but in the end, uh, before Mrs. Van Tassel can, uh, can hand Katrina off to the horseman, um, Crane throws the head to the horseman who catches it and puts it on. And once he's gotten his head back, he doesn't have to listen to Mrs. Van Tassel anymore. So now he can claim her and he does and he kisses her and she bleeds and it's so gross. Uh, And then he gets on his horse with his new girlfriend. They leap into the tree, into hell. But somehow Mrs. Van Tassel's hand gets stuck in the roots. And I don't really know the logic on that one, but it does make for one great last final gross out moment where her hand moves. Yeah, and she's like, come with me. Yeah, it's just the one finger moving. So now the denouement, the color scheme for the carriage right out of Sleepy Hollow is completely different. It's it's lovely, soft colors, and it's not monochromatic anymore. And then they arrive in New York City, and it's back to black and white again. Mm-hmm. And Katrina has come to New York with Crane. Why? They're in love. Are they? I mean, is she his ward? Doesn't, does she have no one else she can go to? I just, I don't, I'm not happy about this path. It's supposed to be a happy ending, but it's weird. And she's wearing the most Tim Burton dress ever. It's like black she's and Beetle white Juice, stripes. She know. is, yep, she's doing cosplay as Beetlejuice. Um, and then the movie supposedly is happy because she's gone to New York City with well, they have Nesmith, Ichabod. Young Nesmith. So maybe she marries young Nesmith. Oh, that's weird. He's it's too, less weird. He's, but he's, he's way too young. Like yeah, well, Ichabod Crane is way too old. She's supposed to be, like, young, too, but... She's supposed to be, what, like, 19? 18? Naz was 14. Yeah, it's that's better Honestly, than her that's Ichabod, less yeah. creepy than 40-year-old Johnny Depp. Was he already 40 in that movie? I don't know. I'm just assuming he is. I don't even know how old he is right now. Anyways, so then the movie ends, and it's a happy <laughs> ending, and they were New York. I feel like it's really funny that we both started out saying, it's a good movie, and then we just spent the entire so, last 15, 20 I minutes... I know, I got so snarky. it. I know, it's... <laughs> Okay, so I enjoyed this movie so much when I was a teenager, and I saw it for the first time, and I've seen it many times, and just rewatching it as an adult, it doesn't hold up. It doesn't, and, you know, compared to Tim Burton's earlier works, you're like, it's not nearly as bad as his most current oeuvre, but it's doesn't nearly compare to but his But, like, do you look at Sleepy stuff. Hollow, and you're like, oh, this is where it started to turn? Yes. Because you, I mean, you can't compare this movie to, say, Edward Scissorhands. No, 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 no. Or, um, Not even Ed Wood, for crying out loud. Oh, yeah. Ed Wood is great. Ed yeah. Wood holds up. But the, and, and, you know, in retrospect, to some of the stuff that 
at the time, I was willing to just kind of accept. I was willing to just kind of accept that Katrina Van Tassel would, of course, fall in love with Ichabod Crane, that that romance was mm-hmm. default. And and now I look at it, I'm like, but but why? Yep. I don't understand the attraction. I don't understand why she does things. Yes. And it's, it's, and it's insulting. Yeah. The movie, asks, the, the movie re- requires you to accept a lot just because it's it's there. It's lazy. It's super lazy. And it, and it is too bad because there's a lot of really talented actors in it. Mm-hmm. And it's and it is fun. It is yeah. a fun movie. It is a fun movie. But I don't have as much fun watching it now because of that laziness. Yes. And it's and it's a shame because you can tell a lot of work went into certain aspects of it and then not others. Yeah. It's like it's it is it's typical Tim Burton in that the aesthetic is gorgeous. Yeah. It's like oh. the, the sets are beautiful and the cut co- like the lack of color and color schemes and like how um, you know he's very selective in the color he suit he chooses so like in those gory bloody scenes like the red is just so red oh yeah and so you know your your eye is drawn to it and he like, but I just want a better explanation for why we have to have the exactly. blood right like, there are. Yeah. Just a little bit more thought. Yeah, it's like the choices they made were like, oh, this is going to look great on camera, and that was the only reasoning behind so much of it. Yeah. Which is really frustrating because you're looking at a, like a multi-million dollar yeah. production when you do something like this. Yep. And of course then, in retrospect, the things we know about Johnny Depp, definitely, mm-hmm. I've lost so much respect for him. Yes. Honestly, even before the accusations about him came out, I'd lost a lot of respect for him because of his film choices. Yes. And just the kind of things he was he was doing as a performer. And he was making, like, in, in uh, so many of his movies now, he's making the lazy choice. It's like, he's not even trying to differentiate between his characters anymore. And yeah. He just, well, he finds something that works and, like, that carries through well, every single one of well, his it, movies. Yeah, it's not, and what, what did you say about him? You said he Oh, before he turned into a living hat? Before he turned into a living hat. <laughs> but it's like, you see this, and you can see how this is... This is a step towards Willy Wonka. Yes. Which is so bad. Yes. So this is like, in in retrospect, it was, at the time, it, it seemed like, oh, this is a, 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 this is the same trajectory as Edward Scissorhands, you know, the, the lovable losers and the outcasts and... And I think it was coming, like, coming after Mars Attacks, which was not a good movie either. And so... When you look at Mars Attacks compared to Sleepy Hollow, you're like, oh, he's becoming, he's going back to the old Burton. Yeah. But he's not. Well, really. And, and it's, and the, and, the, and the, just the, there's just some lazy, lazy yes. choices that are made. Yes. Which is, which is a shame. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. Um, it's just, it feels very Hollywood. It's like, oh, take, you know, this, this very, this Hollywood trope of like, take a, take a, a story, a book that's in the public domain and adapt it with absolutely no respect for what the original was trying to accomplish. Yes. And of course, we have to have the main, le- the main female and the main male fall in love, and that's default. And yes. there's no thinking about why that would right. happen. It, like, it makes no much effort. more sense, like, the fact that she and Brom were a thing, because they're locals, they grew up together, it's like... He's Casper Van Diem. Right? He's, you know, still attractive. Yeah. Right? So now it's time for some fun and games. Do you think we should start with heartthrobs and hairdos? I do. All right. So uh, we've who are, decided... you, who are your top three? So my top three hotties, um, they're not really going to be a surprise. So clearly Ray Park as the Headless Horseman because I'm a big fan of athleticism. And guy's got some moves. He's got a 
he's just got great physicality and he like carries himself so well in that role and even though he has no head you're just like yes mm-hmm. I, oh yes yeah. he's got good posture he's got great posture I'm like, <laughs> why should i emulate that um and then clearly miranda richardson because woman's gorgeous oh she's such a fantastic actress and she just in both roles i just loved her in both and then this is um my third one is you know kind of from my first viewing was Johnny Depp because I was your typical high school er and I was like Johnny Depp is so hot um so yeah so I had to keep him and be like true to my my high school stuff I couldn't I couldn't not include him for that reason I well I respect that I had to go the other way even though I did no, I totally, totally crush you. on Johnny Depp when I first saw this yeah. I I had to take him off no, of I, my list. No, it's totally fair. So yeah. my top three are, um, also I had Miranda Richardson. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She's amazing and I love her. Um, Casper Van Dien. And yeah. I, honestly, he's not my type, but he's, he's a hunk. He's mm-hmm. a hunk. He really is. And um, uh, Christopher Walken. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I... <laughs> I know it's a little... <laughs> It's a little bizarre, but I think he's actually pretty I hot. With as I say go with, with it. the filed teeth and the t- he's got like great timber and hair and and he's like pure evil. And oh, the, he, is. he doesn't actually say any lines; he just hisses. Which <laughs> and yet he's still he's still sexy. Like he gives Miranda Richardson that kiss at the end, and I'm like, like their chemistry. Honestly, the chemistry between. Mrs. Van Tassel and the Headless Horseman, when it's, he kisses yeah. her so hard he draws blood, their chemistry is still more they palpable both, yeah. than any scene between Ichabod Crane and <laughs> Katrina. That one, I was like, oh, they're going to bone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, clearly. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a tad rapey, but it's just much... It's it's a sexier moment. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so those are our hotties. So what were your top three styles or outfits? Um... So in no particular order, um, Mrs. Van Tassel's first dress in the party mm. scene, that yellow dress, and it is hard to pick out my favorite dresses yeah. of hers, but that one was just stunning. Um, and actually, Katrina's going to get one. Oh. When they discover Katrina in the woods and she's got that silver cloak and it's got this red and white floral Ooh, lining, it yes. is gorgeous. And it's and she's in this dark, yes. creepy woods. It's so... Ugh, gorgeous. It's so beautiful. And then uh, Mrs. Van Tassel's final dress, which is, it's this black and white, and it looks kind of like a spider web, Mm -hmm. and the skirts are just so full, and it's super amazing. Her hair in that final scene is a little weird. It's It's a little piecey, but the dress more than makes up for it. Yes. What are your three top? Actually, uh, Miranda Richardson's last dress as well. I was just, you know, kind of floored by it. I was just like, oh my god. Um, and then, actually, I liked her sister's outfit. Oh, It was yes. so gauzy and just, it really, really told you so much about the character. It was unbelievable. And I was just like, they did a really good yeah, job that, No, that is a good costume. And her veil and, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and then, actually, the Headless Horseman's costume. I thought they did a really good job with kind of giving him this military aspect, but also um, having it be, like, completely dark and giving off this evil, like, sense of, like, he's separate from from the army and his own self but he's very military and he's still got that bearing but he's clearly purely evil they're telling a good story with his yes. costume. that's a yes. really good point um 
now it is time for some quizzes and questions. So, Sam, I'm going to ask you some questions first. Okay. So, favorite gross-out moment? Ooh. I want to say the autopsy. Yeah. Just because, like, that initial shot of blood into his eye. Right into the eye. I was just like, oh, God, no, not the eye. I mean... First of all, first of all, <laughs> first of all, there should be no blood in an autopsy because yes, she's been, been dead, dead and buried. But whatever. <laughs> Besides that, I'm just like, ew. And the acronym number seven hundred and twenty-two. Right? Oh god. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of which, what is the worst anachronism in your <laughs> opinion? I mean, can I do I have to pick just one? Just name <laughs> name your favorite. Um, I'm going to stick with the autopsy and be like, no, 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 <laughs> Nothing about no it makes blood. Sense. No, mm-mm. I'm sorry. No. And this question is a leading one. It would not stand up in a court of law. What is the stupidest crime against womankind committed by this movie? <laughs> um, um, I actually, everything that they do to the servant girl, Sarah. Yes. Good call. Yeah. Servant girl Sarah totally gets shafted. She really does. She's introduced making out with um, the doctor. Ugh, seriously, nobody would make out with Palpatine. I'm sorry. Did you well, see? Mm, also, no. she. I mean, she's what? She's 18. At least. And she's yeah, making out with women. a 70-year-old guy. No. And no one thinks, like, that maybe that's not her talk choice. Right. It's like, what is she going to get from that relationship? Nothing. She is actually, like, the one line she gets, she says to Crane, like, we're so glad you're here. Like It's like, oh, you're our savior. She has, like, thoughts and feelings. Mm-hmm. And then they She's kill like, her off yeah, screen. exactly. Just to provide a body double yeah. for Mrs. Van T. Yeah. Yeah, good call. Thank you. Poor Sarah. Ugh, they could have a whole movie about her story. Right? And I, she doesn't get, like, she, like, basically starts off as a title, and they're like, oh, we should probably give her a name because there's more than one servant girl. So disrespectful Seriously. to her as a person. Ugh. So, um, my questions are a little bit more, I don't know. Are your questions better than mine? No, they're actually worse than yours. Um, I put a lot of thought, a lot of thought into mine. <laughs> um, we be kind of already talked about this, but how would you rank this among Tim Burton's work? I mean, somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And I don't think that Tim Burton's work can be directly ranked chronologically, but it's almost, it could be almost a chronological yeah. list. Like, you start at the top as, you know, Edward, Ed, Ed Wood. Johnny, uh, oh my God, I can't speak English today. Edward, Edward Scissorhands, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Um, obviously, Nightmare Before Christmas. He didn't actually direct that. He though. didn't direct it, but he what, did he produce it? He it produced was based it. on his story. His short story, yeah. So that's right at the top. Probably Nightmare Before Christmas is is the top if we're including anything he worked on. Yeah. Um, and then at the bottom is everything that he made after this movie. <laughs> um, I haven't I mean, actually seen Big Eyes yet, so I can't judge that. I one. haven't seen Big Eyes either. Actually, actually I like Big Fish. Oh yeah, I really liked Big Fish too. No, Big Fish was a bit of an outlier because that's a later film, yeah. and it had Helena Bottom Carter, it but did. it was really it good. Was so good. That was actually one of his better films. Yeah. Um, I put that in his top three or four. So where would I? So where would I put Sleepy Hollow? I'd put Sleepy Hollow as worse than those, but probably better than. Um, Definitely better than, like, Willy Wonka. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, I don't know, maybe around... I think I like this one better than Corpse Bride. Mm. Corpse Bride is really beautiful, but the story is kind of... Yeah. 
It's like they wanted just another, they wanted to, to capitalize on the success of Nightmare Before Christmas, but they didn't really know how to. Well, because they didn't have the actual director of Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh my god. <laughs> James and the Giant Peach was so good. Oh, I haven't seen it. <gasps> so good. We should do that one, too. Yeah, we should. So many choices. <laughs> okay. Um, so what about the original short story do you enjoy? What did I enjoy about the original short story? So I liked that it was so short. <laughs> uh, that was really nice. Uh, brevity is the soul of wit. Um, you know, I just, it was so atmospheric. He really does a fantastic job of just establishing the mood and the world. Just feels very fully realized. I mean, there's almost no plot. The characters are really thin. So it's it's just a study in in, in atmosphere, almost in the mood. And he has these wonderful passages where he's describing, like, the languid summer days and, like, the breeze and the plants. You know, that that's it's very evocative. It's very beautifully written. It's some lovely prose. Um, so, there's, I mean, there is a lot to like about it. But, there, I mean, there's there's almost no story. Mm-hmm. You know, there's... Wait till we get to my awards. <laughs> All right, so that's my answer is the, the prose. Awesome. All right, that makes sense. And then uh, what is your favorite scene in the movie? My favorite scene in the movie. Oh, this is, all right, so actually my favorite scene in the movie is not one I talked about, I don't think. Oh, no, it's going to be a tie. So one of them is the visit to the witch in yes, the woods. That's that a great, great scene. And I love... The way Ichabod Crane's character is, is, is created for the film is actually quite clever because he's this very intelligent man who has a lot of fear who tries to be brave, but the fear is still very there. And it's, it's, it's played for comedy, but it's very effective. So they're in the woods and he makes Nesmith go ahead of him. So like, he's got this 14 year old kid and he, but he's, but he's still got his gun and he's pointing yes. it and, but he's letting the kid go ahead. <laughs> so that's great. And then I think my tied with my other favorite scene is when the headless horseman goes after the midwife and her family. Yes. And I hate that scene because it's basically the death of Harry Potter's parents. Like, yes! <laughs> Those oh scenes God. are tied so closely in my head. Like they, she tries to protect her son, and she shoves him under the floorboards. But just that, that scene, that sequence is a standalone story all of its own. Yes. You could just watch that sequence completely separated from the rest of the film. You, the, the you don't under, you don't need to know why the horseman has come. You don't need to know his origin. Evil arrives in the home of this little family, and the the mother and father try and protect each other and their son, and it's all. Those are actors I've actually seen in other things in larger parts, and they're really talented actors. They really are. Other than the kid with the big head. I, I've never I don't seen know that kid. Yeah. He's, he's a Burton-looking kid with his big head. Yeah. Um, so I think that scene actually is a really beautiful little little film unto itself. <laughs> and, of course, Ray Park's physical acting. Oh, God. Where he, he, he kills so the dad, he kills the mom, he gets to the door. And then he's like, and then, Wait. And then he turns. <laughs> and it's so dramatic. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, for those of you who don't know as well, Ray Park played the character of Toad in the first X-Men movie, and it, he was terrible. He, yes, uh, even Ray Park has <laughs> has had bad film roles. We should not be judged by the worst roles we've ever had. No, no, I'm just, but, like, it's amazing, like, how you let him talk and give him a face, and I feel like he just completely... <laughs> Loses <laughs> he's just, himself. He's just good from the neck down. But like, if you just give him a physical role and he's just unbelievable. Did he have any lines in Phantom Menace, or was he just? He was basically just all physical. And things. he was just about the only good thing about. He that really movie. was. Like, yeah. So like, if you just give him action, 
he can tell you a story with his body. Yeah, his, he's such a good physical yeah. actor. Yeah, he like he reminds me of Doug Jones in that way, because um, I mean Doug Jones also is very musical in his voice, and he can he like draws you in with his his speaking voice as well. But he is just such a physical mm. actor, and he like he draws you into the story with just a movement of his hand. And Ray Park does the same thing. Yeah, it's it is a, it is a talent. Yeah, I agree. He's an artist with a fist. <laughs> oh, God. I took that somewhere bad. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> What's your next question? Keep moving. I'm done. No, that was it. I'm done. Oh, okay. All right. So um, <laughs> we're done with questions. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> moving on. <laughs> it's a good thing this is a podcast so no one can see us blushing. My face is bright red, though. I just want everyone to know that. Her face is bright red. I can attest to that. <laughs> Her face is as red as the fake blood that hit Johnny Depp in the eye. <laughs> no blood! There should have been no blood! It's a hot dog! Yeah. All right, well, actually, all right, think about it. How long does it take to get from New York City to the Hudson River Valley? In that, I mean, a couple of days by At carriage. Least, yeah. So it, she's, she's been buried for, like, a yeah. week. Yeah, and, like, it took... Also, like, the time it took the messenger to get to New York City and then for them to, like... Be like, oh, Ichabod, we're gonna punish you. It's by like, so it's like there. three months later. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, there's blood. <laughs> okay, I should probably not talk about Let's that. Let's move on. <laughs> Fake awards. Yay, my favorite part. Okay, so I would just like to kick it off with our Jeff Goldblum Award. Yes. Um, so the Jeff Goldblum Award clearly goes to Christopher Walken because, really, why him as a headless horseman? <laughs> Why? Why not? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we started the Jeff Goldblum Award last episode with Jeff Goldblum. And it just seemed appropriate that there should be a Jeff Goldblum Award Award. for this episode. Mm -hmm. And and so that then started a discussion uh, about what the Jeff Goldblum Award means. And I think we should just kind of talk about that evolution. And, and where we've landed is that the Jeff Goldblum Award goes to an actor whose presence is bigger than the role. Yes. And Christopher Walken is definitely the one that fulfills that because he does a great job as a Hessian. And, like, you really believe he's this evil Christopher Walken but, is, is believably evil. Yeah. But he's also, you're like, oh, my God, it's Christopher Walken. Yeah. He never what? loses himself in the role. No. <laughs> and, like, he can do that. I've seen Christopher Walken... Like, not be so clearly Christopher Walken in a role. Oh, yeah. I can't think of it off the top of my head, but I know I've seen it. Uh, Puss in Boots. Yes, obviously. <laughs> Which, if you've never seen <laughs> the 1980s musical oh my God. of Puss in Boots, oh. it's got Sean Connery's son, Jason Connery. Right, uh, Robin Hood. And Christopher Walken is the cat. It's on DVD. I own it. We'll do that. We'll yeah, do that. We'll do that <laughs> <next>. <laughs> Let's add it to the list. <laughs> I like some bad movies. I, we I all do. do. We well, all I know do. you do. Oh, yeah, no, I clearly do. We won't talk about that on this podcast, <laughs> Who are other award winners? <laughs> um, so I have a theme, which you'll pick up on. So the award for bad guy I'm totally into goes to Ray Park as the Headless Horseman. Uh-huh. And then my last award is the award for hardest book I've ever had to summarize going to Legend <laughs> of Sleepy Hollow. <laughs> Legend of Sleepy Hollow wins. Yay! Here's your trophy. <laughs> They're like, I don't want this prize. Um, so my awards uh, are the worst use of a set piece to escalate drama goes to the windmill. <laughs> Why? 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 And the Hexus Award goes to the devil tree <laughs> that eats Miranda <laughs> Richardson at the end. Oh, my God. Fern Gully. Yes. Yes. 
It's totally the tree out Tim of Ferngully. Curry. Oh, man. It's amazing. So do you, are, are there any morals or life lessons that you can take away from these, Sam? Um, well, I know we, we kind of talked about this bef- while we were planning the the podcast, but I was thinking for the movie, there is this this kind of balance between you know science versus superstition and how do you how do you reconcile the two because you know in that time period it was superstition ruled your life but science was kind of the upcoming and you know so many people for so many people it was one or the other and there's no way you could kind of find a path between the two and I think the movie's trying to say you don't need to do just one or the other it's like there is like clearly there is a there's a real headless horseman but there's also a driving force behind it that he was able to find using scientific method, I say in quotations, but... An approximation of the scientific yeah, method. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, it's, 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 the dichotomy isn't strictly one or the other. It's like you have to really balance the two. Yeah, I think that's actually a really good lesson to take away from it. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> it's the only lesson I got. <laughs> that's a good one. Um, so our, our next game, our last game, is six degrees of separation, and we hope that you played at home. So we each uh, tried to find six degrees between our previous film, which was the original Jurassic Park, and this lovely film, Sleepy Hollow. So Sam, what's uh, what's your path? Okay, so I kind of went obscure. Um, so we started with uh, Tim, the actor who plays Tim, Joseph Mazzello, and he was in Shadowlands with Peter Firth. Um, Shadowlands was the movie about C.S. Lewis. Um, and then Peter Firth was in Mighty Joe Young with Charlize Theron. Uh, Charlize Theron was in Hancock with Will Smith. Uh, Will Smith was in Collateral Beauty with Helen Mirren. And then Helen Mirren was in Gosford Park with Michael Gambon, who was in Sleepy Hollow. Yes, he was. He was Brutus Van Tassel. Yes. All right. Now, um, I, I want to point out that you and I took different interpretations of Six Degrees. Yes. Which I think is fine, because we did not clarify. No. So you have six actors and seven films. Yes. I have... One, two, three, four, five actors and six films. So mm-hmm. my six degrees are the films, your six degrees are the actors, yes. and I don't think we need to be hard asses no. about that. I think it's fun either way. That's fine either way. Um, so my six degrees are that Sam Jackson was in Jurassic Park. What, what? He was also in Star Wars Phantom Menace with Liam Neeson, who was in High Spirits oh my God. with Peter O'Toole, <laughs> who was in Troy with Orlando Bloom, who was in... Pirates of the Caribbean with Walking Hat, Johnny Depp, who, of course, starred in Sleepy Hollow. I did give myself a little bit of a handicap because I decided (laughs) that I had to get through High Spirits somehow. So this actually was like a two-step journey (laughs) from Jurassic Park to Sleepy Hollow. I just wanted to see if I could use High Spirits. Because of the beautiful Steve (laughs) Gutenberg. Or as we call him in my house, Steve Glutenberg. Which is honestly like the least insulting thing anyone's ever said about him. It's true. So, it's true. <laughs> that's practically a compliment. I mean, he was great on Veronica Mars, so whatever. <laughs> <laughs> no, wait, didn't you say last night that he was basically playing himself? Yes, exactly. When he was playing... A pedophile. <laughs> a pedophile STD... Inf- he had, he had um, chlamydia. Chlamydia infested <laughs> pedophile. He was basically playing himself. Like, that's not a nice thing to say, Sam. <laughs> I didn't like, say oh, I was he a did nice such person. a good job in that movie. <laughs> so believable, the way he. Oh, and if you, oh, I'm sorry, if you have not seen season three of Veronica Mars, that is uh, a little bit of a spoiler. spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> we, sorry. we should we should really like warn people that you're we're gonna we're not just gonna spoil the movie we're we talk spoil about today. Everything. We're gonna spoil everything. Oh man. Um, 
there we both tried to do exactly six degrees. Yes. There is a much shorter version to do that, which is that uh, Miranda Richardson, who plays two roles in Sleepy Hollow, mm-hmm. was in the Merlin miniseries mm-hmm. with Sam Neill, who of course was in Jurassic yes. Park. So you could actually do it in one degree. Yeah, if and, you're if you're trying to take. A and shortcut. actually, it's funny. There's actually a couple of different one degrees that you can do, because um, Sam Neill was in Resurrection. Re- I mean, Restoration with Ian McDermott. Okay, oh. Palpatine, right. who was also in Sleepy Hollow. Yep. Which is funny because you don't who. really get that one. Yeah. I, not many people have seen Restoration, which I don't blame them. I've seen it. <laughs> it's not a good movie. Oh, yeah. We just we just spoil everything, don't we? Yeah, we did. And we're only in the second episode. I know. Oh, we're the worst. You know what we didn't talk about at all? Um, and I know we're running out of time. We did not talk at all about the TV show Sleepy Hollow. Oh. Oh. So... I just want to say the TV show Sleepy Hollow is, if possible, less faithful to the book, which is which is impressive. It really was, yeah. But Ichabod Crane is super hot. He is very attractive and really British. He's super British. So you should definitely watch it for that reason alone. Watch, like, an episode or two. The yeah. plot gets weird. It gets weird. and But the first episode also has Clancy Brown, which is worth it because I love him. I just, I just loved his initial reactions to... Being in the modern world. Yeah. And when he discovered that there was a tax on, like, the McDonald's breakfast sandwich, and he was like, what were we fighting the revolution for? Like, that was... That was brilliant. That was very funny. Yeah. I've, I haven't actually seen him in other things yet, so I'll have to, like, track him down. No, he was in a version... He was in a Jane Austen adaptation. Oh, I which can't one? remember which one. I'll have to look that up. Because we did see that, didn't we? We yeah. talked about was that. He in a, was he in a version of Pride and Prejudice? No, was it Mansfield Park? Oh, okay, we're going to have to look that up. We're going to have to look that up. All right, stay tuned for that mystery. Right? Next episode. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So next uh, next episode, we're going to do two things. We're going to talk about another book slash movie. Um, and we're going we're gonna to talk gonna more you. about the actor who played Ichabod Crane. That's right, because clearly that's what this entire podcast has to be about very important. Now. So, um, Sam, what is our next episode going to be about? Uh, so next episode, we will be steaming into the world of Agatha Christie with a ride on the Orient Express. Which means we will be reading The Murder on the Orient Express, which is possibly her most famous Hercule Poirot novel. And we're going to pair that with a viewing of the new Kenneth Branagh movie and, of course, the classic David Suchet episode from his Poirot series. Yes, this is actually going to be a special episode because we're going to talk about two different adaptations of the same book. Yes. And we're going to try and be fair to Kenneth Branagh's mustaches. But no promises. No promises on that one. Mm-mm. We've already had many discussions, and so I feel like it will be another fun-filled episode next time. I feel there will be a lot of snark. So tune yes. in. We want to hear from you. Send questions, comments, and your six degrees to Adapted with Anna and Sam, all one word, at gmail.com. Or you can post on Facebook. You can find us on Facebook at Adapted with Anna and Sam. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Adapted Podcast. Thanks for joining us <laughs> for yet another episode. I'm Anna, and I wish High Spirits was based on a book. I'm Sam, and I wish Romancing the Stone was based on a book. Bye. Bye. Bye.